Hello everyone, it's Britt, the Petite Polymath. And today on the 1st of December, we're gonna be going over Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. Stay tuned. So I just wanna preface this recording that if you hear really annoying beep, I'm on call and I have my pager next to me and you know, life could happen. So at any rate, hopefully that will not dis disrupt us. Um, so I read Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson, who is also the author of uh, The Warmth of Other Suns, um, which was a winner of the Pulitzer Prize years ago. Um, that was historical telling of um, the exodus of black Americans um, from the South to the Northeast and the West in search of better life uh, in the setting of Jim Crow South, um, really kind of as like, you know, economic and social refugees uh, because of the um, injustices that were in place um, and supported by the government. And of course, we know how that story ends. Uh, relocating from the South to the North really didn't make that much of a difference. It just caused new problems. And so Isabel Wilkerson takes kind of that, you know, historical moment and actually pans back even further to this idea that caste, which for a lot of people, when you hear that word, you immediately think of the caste system in India that is connected to Hinduism and this idea that you are born into this particular place in life with no room to go up or down and that that place is contingent on um, what life you lived in the past, so that if you are better, then maybe you'll be reincarnated into a better cast the next time, and if you aren't, you'll have a lower cast. So that's the idea that most of us are familiar with. But what Isabel Wilkerson says is that that cast is just one example of other castes that have existed, or caste systems that have existed um, historically. And so she um, kind of uses um, as comparisons the Indian caste system to um, the system implemented by the Nazis in Germany during World War II, um, loosely refers to what happened in apartheid in South Africa, and then compares all of these things to what she hypothesizes or at least brings forth as an idea of the American caste system. The difference being in this situation that the religion that is sometimes used to justify it is Christianity, which is horrifying and sadly valid, um, and that beyond faith or religion, it's, it's based on racism and sexism and these kind of um, differences that are really largely arbitrary amongst human beings that they cannot change that then have them stuck in positions that they have internalized and therefore have to act out, um, whether they are in the dominating caste, the middle caste in between that, or the subordinate caste. So that's kind of the overall theme of the book. Um, I found it very interesting because I feel like there are times where we talk about race in America and then the racism thing kind of falls apart or at least you know the players seem to act in ways that don't make a lot of sense um, but if you have this overarching framework for cast it lets you put things in their proper place and you know I, I'm sure it's up for discussion as to how rigid this may or may not be I'm sure I will have friends who will feel strongly 
that um, this is invalid. Uh, I have one friend who listens to this podcast pretty regularly and doesn't, you know, like identity politics. Definitely is a, crit- a, crit- a critic of critical race theory. And, um, and we've had interesting conversations about this. Uh, I'll let you guess kind of the demographics because I do think that it's interesting who believes these things are real or not, especially in large amounts, right? Like, what gender are you and what ethnicity are you and what experiences do you bring to the table that help you be able to kind of um, sit with the discomfort that we have these systems at play that benefit people merely based on the color of their skin or the gender that they appear to be, um, but has really no bearing on what they bring to the table besides that at the beginning, right? And then depending, it may not ever really make as much of a difference. And so Isabel Wilkerson does a very good job <clears throat> of going back and forth and referring to historical moments where, where these systems kind of get propped up, situations where they could have been dismantled, but then they were not, and they were reinforced. And then brings us to the present day, because I didn't realize this book actually came out this year. I don't know why I thought it was last year. So we get all the way up to practically the pandemic, which is impressive. Um, and through Trump's pres- presidency, um, and the idea that he actually is a, is a perfect example of the fact that we live in a caste system, which, you know, I remember when he won, I think it might have been Van Jones on CNN, who said we were witnessing a white lash in response to President Obama's two, you know, two terms of presidency. Um, and that, you know, kind of this last gasping attempt by white supremacy to hold on to whatever power they had by whoever seemed to be the perfect poster child to, to support them. And I didn't think about it as anything bigger than a racial phenomenon, but there is something to this idea that it's bigger than even that. <clears throat> and, you know, how interchangeable race and caste are, as, as terminology for both ideas is something I think you could definitely, you know, wax philosophical about. Um, I do think that there are these internalized uh, positions that we are in, particularly in this country, um, that people have to unpack. You know, I've told lots of people that we live in, in a a default world of racism and sexism and classism and, you know, ableism, right? And that you have to actually opt out or you have to be aware of it in order to reprogram yourself. And that's whether you're in the benefiting end or you're on the side that um, is not benefiting because you can have this victim mentality if you're on the side that's not benefiting or this learned helplessness that's been internalized if you're on the side that hasn't benefited because it seems futile to even try and you have historical precedent for trying and it not always making much of a difference. Um, On top of this idea of kind of epigenetics of, you know, traumas passed down from generation to generation um, and how these mindsets and these traumatized individuals pass these things down that people just believe is just the way it's always been, whether that's right or not, 
it's understandable. And how much opposition you come up against if you try to buck the system, because it seems the system gives, pushes everything back at you. You know, it's one thing if you do something, but it's another if you do, if you do something that's going to impact and benefit lots of people in a category that, of, of humans that people don't deem as, as equal or as good or um, as less than, right? And so I thought it would be interesting to talk a little about some experiences in my own life um, that I think kind of tie in with some of the things um, that Wilkerson poses. And I don't know, you know, I'm sure she'll never listen to this podcast, but I do want to just give her a little shout out and say, I thought her writing was so easy to read and um, could have been way more preachy and was not. And I also want to give my condolences. I think she had a lot of loss in the last year. Her husband passed. I think her parents um, are no longer living. And so I just want to extend some, um, you know, sympathies to her. Um, She did beautiful work even in the midst of um, considerable loss. So um, a couple of personal things maybe I'll do at the end because there are a couple of, of, po- of things that I found interesting. So one, in America in particular, she talks about this idea of people starting off at the bottom and then making their way up the caste ladder because, as human nature puts it, we always want to be a little bit better than somebody else, right? And so we have, you know, the hierarchy in America. You have the native indigenous people who are largely decimated by Europeans coming in the name of Christ, which, you know, some people maybe really were, but a lot of people were not. Um, These uh, indigenous were subjugated and uh, infected by various diseases, treated horribly, and then put on property that's arid and horrible, and, I mean, literally broke the spirit, or attempted to break the spirit, of of groups of, of people that we have been robbed of, of the vibrancy and the intellect and the gifting of, of the peoples of this land, um, the knowingness of it for sure. And I think that we suffer the consequences of it today um, in lots of ways, spiritually, practically speaking on how to manage the land, all sorts of things. So then, in the midst of all this, you've got, you know, people coming over the name of the name of Christ, people coming over in the name of fortune, people coming over to start over because uh, they were at the bar- bottom of the barrel um, in Europe. And then you've got, you know, um, your, your Africans that are either um, indentured servants or free, and then the majority of them being um, chattel, you know, uh, chattel enslaved people. So brought over against their wheel, I just got really Southern there, against their will, and um, sold by their brethren of neighboring tribes for alcohol and guns. Um, And, you know, these people have been um, held up as subhuman to justify uh, their enslavement. Because it's the only way that you can do something like that is by dehumanizing a whole group of people um, purely based on the color of their skin, the size of their nose, the sort of hair they have. Because if you actually had to acknowledge that you were doing what you were doing to these humans, you probably would not be able to sleep at night unless you were a sociopath. And then over the years, we get um, immigrants from other parts of Europe, maybe not so much, you know, England or the United Kingdom, um, but Ireland 
and Italy and France and these people come and they maybe they're not Protestant, maybe they're Catholic. Um, you have Jewish um, immigrants coming over. You have further Eastern Europeans coming over. Then you've got um, uh, Asians coming over from China and Japan. And every group comes over. They get mistreated. They're told that they're not white. But then, miraculously, over time, they seem to be able to assimilate into something that's at least not black, right? Because that's the bottom of the barrel. And then fast forward to the 19th, well actually, the 20th century and into the 21st century, and then you've got people coming from the border below into land that was their own to begin with. A group of people that are now largely kind of a, cre a new ethnic group because they're a, a conglomeration of European and indigenous and African people. So we have the Hispanics and Latinos who come. And they're coming from Mexico and Central America um, for a host of reasons. And they're also at the bottom of the barrel in lots of ways, depending on what country they're from and depending on what they look like, if you want to be honest. And so something that Wilkerson says is this, this idea that, that the boundaries of who's in and who's out can be um, flexible, which um, is something that's really interesting but yet not flexible for black people. Even if they assimilate culturally, even if they um, do all the things, because it's still not good enough. Um, she compares this uh, kind of idea that we go as far as to say that if you have one drop of black blood in you, that you're not white, um, which is very different from South Africa, where you benefit from being closer to white. So if you're half white, you get treated better than being fully black. Okay? And then the caste system in India, I think that the boundaries are probably so rigid about who marries. Inter they try to keep intermarrying from occurring so much so that um, I don't even think it's as much of a, of a contest. It's just, this is where you're born and you can't ever get back out. Okay. Um, she says something really cool though about dehumanization, which I think is, is very um, poignant. And there goes my pager. To dehumanize another human is not merely to declare that someone is not human and it does not happen by accident. It is a process, a programming. It takes energy and reinforcement to deny what is self-evident in another member of one's own species. It is harder to dehumanize a single person standing in front of you, wiping away tears at the loss of a loved one, just as you would, or wincing in pain from a fall as you would, laughing at an unexpected double entendre as you might. It is harder to dehumanize a single individual that you have gotten the chance to know, which is why people in groups who seek power and division do not bother with dehumanizing an individual. Better to attach a stigma, a taint of pollution, to an entire group. Now that is a perfect example of what happens in Germany under Hitler. This idea that what wasn't something you picked out before all of a sudden becomes an issue. Because of course Jews were completely integrated into the communities of, the, of Germany for you know hundreds of years. And this wasn't a problem. <clears throat> they married you know, Christians, they had children, their kids went to school, they were neighbors, they were business, you know, they owned businesses with other people. 
this was completely a non-issue. And then all of a sudden, now we're looking at people and going, well, your hair looks kind of curly, or your nose looks kind of prominent, your skin's a little olive. And then you, you raise the suspicion, right? <clears throat> and even prior to race theory being a thing, um, in the 1300s and in the 1200s, there were universities in, in Africa, in Mali, Timbuktu, um, in Egypt, um, where there was communication between, um, you know, African peoples and Europeans. They would exchange information. They would exchange goods. And it was completely considered normal. And it was just another person who just happened to have darker skin. And that was it. And that, to me, is, is, is fascinating, how you can go from that to where we are now. It's just insane. Um... And actually, to even go back to that idea, you know, when I talked about um, Yasuke, we know that Asia was also in on this. <laughs> and there's a very good chance that, like, Africans from the West Coast also sailed to the Americas before the Europeans showed up. Which really just means that we need to totally revamp the way we teach history to children, because nobody discovers a place if there's already people on it. They just sojourn to a place. That's it. They're not a discoverer. They discovered nothing. That's a whole other can of worms, which I will set aside for today. Um, so I'm already at 17 minutes and like haven't even gotten to my own story. But there are a couple other neat ideas that Wilkerson says that I'll just kind of read through and give a few ideas on. Um, so from the beginning, the power of caste and the superior status of the dominant group was perhaps never clearer than when the person deemed superior was unquestionably not. So she talks about this in the examples of enslaved folk and, their, and the people that were in power over them in particular, um, and the subordinate caste being treated horribly by people in the superior caste, when the superior caste people were clearly not even as intelligent. Because her idea is, if men are on top, but all men clearly aren't intelligent or full of integrity or character, but all women are at the bottom, and all women clearly are not you know, less intelligent than men, or less, um, let's see, uh, hmm, I don't know, hardworking and studious as, as, you know, a man, then it seems really dumb to the greater humanity to put all the women at the bottom and all the men at the top, because then you get a bunch of riffraff up there that don't even deserve to be where they are. They haven't worked anywhere, they haven't earned anything, they're merely mediocre, and they just get there based on the fact that they're a man, right? And then all of this untapped potential never gets realized because they're not pushed to be able to succeed or to excel and deliver because the powers that be don't want to hear from them. They're intimidated, they're insecure. We see this happening, um, of course, in a gendered way um, in the world because of what we do with men and women. But we also see this in the history of the United States in particular. We see this when we think about brain drain in various, in ver on various continents and in various countries. Um, we see this when we think about, and I think about this, the untapped potential of children who don't have access because they're in places where there's poverty. And nobody seems to, to give a care about um, looking to help humans reach their full potential not even just because it's the right thing to do but because who knows what what jewels 
of intellect and talent and gifting and creativity is in someone that hasn't been encouraged and given the, the opportunity, right? Like um, the humans, all the humans of the whole world miss out when we don't let people flourish and thrive. And that's one of the things that she says. I think about Toni Morrison who said that racism was a distraction. And that's why it's even a greater evil because it keeps people from being able to do their work, what they're actually created to do what's inside of them to be able to accomplish cannot be put, brought forth because they're just trying to survive and how horrible that is and what we're missing out on. So to think a little bit about things I've experienced that I think reinforce some of this caste idea, you know, I've had white people say to me, oh, well, but you're successful or your family is so X, Y, Z. Um, clearly, you're not like other black people, which is offensive but that shouldn't be something I should have to tell you. Um, but not only is that offensive, like that's not true. Um, because when I move through a space, before I open my mouth to speak, who I appear to be is how I am judged on the front end. And sometimes even when I start speaking or what I do comes up, it's almost like someone gets a short in their head and they don't know how to compute it. And sometimes people just really aren't happy about it. They're not happy that I am successful. They're not happy that my family's doing okay. They'd kind of like for me to be in my place. I remember vividly a few memories as a child where I was reminded of this. I had an AP calculus teacher and anybody who listens to this from Tupelo High will be able to deduce who this was who wouldn't round up my GPA so that I would have a 4.0 when I graduated. And I was like a tenth of a point away. So she could have rounded up, but she decided not to. And when she decided not to, she told my mother, and I quote, Britt just needs to learn that she can't be the best at everything all the time. That was her explanation. That was it. And I found that very telling. Because I wasn't the best at everything all the time. But somehow, I guess she didn't like the idea that I did the things I did. Maybe that just didn't work well with her worldview. I also um, really, really wanted to play tennis for a period of time. And I remember signing up for a team in junior high, and the coaches just weren't really thrilled. And I wasn't an idiot, so I was just like, you know, these people don't want me to play. They don't want me on their team. I don't really know why, but they don't. And so I'm just not going to do it. And so that was it. Like, I was like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to be someplace where I'm not wanted. Right? And so there is this knowing. You, you can easily pick up from people when they don't want you to be where you are. When they would rather you not be there. Or when they really, really, really will try everything they can to not have to ask you for help. Because God forbid they have to debase themselves to be humble enough to need you. And these are just, I mean, I, I could give you so many examples of both my life, the life of the people, the lives of the people I love, um, where I have witnessed this sort of behavior that I think if you called the person straight out on it, they probably wouldn't even know what hit them because I think underneath it all, it's almost subconscious. It's not even fully at the front of their minds. And so what do we do about this, right? You know, 
Wilkerson says that it is imperative for people in the caste that are subordinate to continue to persist and to do what's to do what they can to be the best they can be right against all the odds even though that cost us a lot but at the same time people in caste that are um you know more powerful right more dominant it is on them to be awakened to the idea of where they have been placed in society and they must be able to sit with that discomfort not, you know, self-flagellate about it, but acknowledge it's a thing and then strive for more equity, like Albert Einstein, for example. And like lots of people that we hear about today that are trying to take these blinders off of this weird, you know, not true colorblind, you know, meritocracy talk <clears throat> that isn't real. And instead be honest about the things that, that make the society move the way it does and try to be more deliberately conscious of creating a more equitable world. Because if we don't do that work, it will not happen by default. People who die from generations before us will not change this because there are people that are young that already have these ideas because they've already been programmed. So age has nothing to do with this. This must take deliberate action. And I think we can do it. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I went a little longer than normal, but there's a lot of information. I highly recommend you read it, maybe even in a book group. Um, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I hope that you stay safe and healthy and are well in all the ways. Um, I want to recommend a couple things to you. The Great British Bake Off will make you happy and the season just ended. Uh, so you can watch the whole thing on Netflix um, or the more, more recent season of Somebody Feed Phil. Um, if you're looking for something heavy, um, Steve McQueen's Small Axe is on Amazon Prime and it's about uh, the fight for equality for black British um, during the 60s and 70s uh, in the United Kingdom. I think it's excellent thus far, and they're releasing one episode a week. So I recommend that too. Um, also, make sure to shop small because all the rich people are merely getting richer. Bye, you all. <laughs>